The Coach's Roundtable is brought to you by Between the Lines. Between the Lines offers online training with current minor league affiliates from the comfort of your own home through online technology. With their coaching, watch your skills and money increase due to no longer needing to drive to get training. For more information, go to betweenthelines.pro. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Coach's Roundtable podcast. With me today, I've got three high school head varsity coaches who are going to break down everything that we've got on the table to talk about. Um, we're going to break down hitting, offense, pitching, defense, dealing, all of that stuff and more. What it's like to be a head varsity baseball coach and having to budget with small budgets. What are things they try to buy and all that stuff and more. But first, I, I've got a testimony on how this podcast is going. Last night, I saw that our podcast, the Coaches Roundtable podcast, just something that was in my imagination a couple of months ago, and I finally put to work this January, is ranked 155 of all the baseball podcasts in the world. And that's a testimony to you guys, to you guys sharing it, putting it out, trying to be a part of it, joining the group chat, and all that stuff and more. Now, some of you may be thinking 155 out of 155. Well, not exactly. There's 228 other podcast but the fact that something that we made together just a month ago is already 155 out of 228 I'll take it because who knows how it's going to look in a month another month a year even a decade from now so enough about that let's get into the podcast we'll ask you first coach Dowling tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are now uh, I grew up in upstate New York town outside of Utica New York called Marcy went to Whitesboro High School Went on and played at Ithaca College um, for ABCA Hall of Famer George Valisene uh, and pretty competitive teams there. Um, when I graduated, it was blatantly obvious that my playing career would be done. Um, and so I got into coaching uh, while I was in grad school. And then I moved to Virginia 13 years ago. I was a JV head coach for two years, a varsity assistant for two. Uh, and I've been a head coach at two different schools for the last nine years. What about you, Coach Levi? Uh, from the Bowling Green, Missouri area, born and raised around here. Went to Bowling Green High School. Had a little bit of a different route than most. I uh, decided not to pursue a career in college. Uh, so constantly I play the shoulda, woulda, coulda game, uh, which I feels uh, what I feel like fuels my fire. Um, went to Missouri State. University to get my PE degree while I was there, decided to uh, volunteer at a local high school at Republic and met with Howard Quigley, who's my first head coach, uh, Hall of Famer, and learned a lot from him, helped him out for about three years. Then we uh, married my wife, moved back home and put in a nap at Wellsville, coached baseball at Wellsville for three years uh, to uh, with helping a final four team and a quarterfinal team. And then decided to set sail and go after my own head coaching position at Ellsbury High School and uh, took our softball team to their first quarterfinal ever in school history. And uh, looking forward to trying doing that with my baseball team this year. And lastly, you, Coach Grant, where you are now and how'd you get there? Uh, thanks for having me on. Um, I'm the head baseball coach at Blue Stem High School. I also teach social studies. This is my uh, third year coaching and teaching overall in third year at Bluestem. I grew up in small town Kansas in Council Grove, which is uh, about 45 minutes south of Manhattan, which is where K-State is. 
Uh, after that, I went and played Juco ball at Coffee Bell Community College and then finished up my playing career at D2 Emporia State and got my teaching degree. Like I said, this has been my first teaching coaching job, and it's been a blast every day, and we're getting ready to start practice on March 2nd, so it's going to be here shortly. All right, let's get into the questions. All three of you guys coach at the high school level, which means limited budgets. How do you guys maximize the budget, and what are things you guys have built or bought that could be useful for another coach to hear? And I'll ask that to you first, Coach Grant. Well, we do as much fundraising as we can. Um, being a small school, like you said, you're at a school with roughly 100 kids. I'm at the same, same size. So we do concession stands a lot. Um, sell banners to local businesses that go on our outfield fence. Um, nothing like huge. I know I've heard people do a bunch of different extravagant things, but we kind of stay away from that. Um, when when I first took the job, there were some things that I knew we needed to get right away in our program. Um, in Kansas, you know, we were never sure of the weather, so we got some smush balls which we use for hitting inside, which I had never heard of before, but were were awesome. And then you know, J bands and Tanner tees as well. Um, I also like to use that fundraising money to get gear. I want to make baseball an, an experience for our guys because it might be the highlight of, of their life, and some of them don't play other sports as well. Um, ways that we do stuff with our budget is we have a big shop program, and so if we need to make something or can make it cheaper than what we can buy it for, we do that. I have a kid right now that made a portable mountain for roughly $100. They've also made helmet racks for us, bat racks, you know, fix things like rakes and tamps that were broken. So uh, if if that's something that any high school coach has at their high school, I would highly suggest using the resources you have in your in your high school to get stuff for cheaper or sometimes even free. And how about you, Coach Dowling? How do you budget? Um, well, we're in a bit of a different situation. I'm at a school of 2,500. Um, so with that comes uh, a little bit easier opportunities to to fundraise and so our big one is we do a banner program um, that brings in the vast majority of our our fundraising year to year um, but that said I've I've often been described as a bit frugal and um, one thing we did a couple of years ago when we got a uh, we got a hitting Rapsodo unit and it didn't work very well in our cages because there are, there's a lot of like shadows there there's trees right around there and so it was tough um, and so we invented our hillbilly hit tracks where um, we just ran strings. I had the smart math kids run strings on the cage at 10 and 30 degrees um, from home plate. So, so kids could kind of see what, what ball flight looks like um, on a ball that's, you know, in that range, which is, which is kind of our desired outcome. Um, and so that's been, that's been a fun little way to add in some competition. And, and kids get that kind of immediate feedback. And it cost us, I don't know, $10 worth of string. Um, in a couple hours of the, the smart kids time. We've also done, um, definitely used our, our tech program at school. The, the shop classes have done a ton of stuff for us that we kind of task them with odds and ends. Um, two of our seniors this year just made a new bat rack for us, things like that. Um, helmet rack we did two years ago. Um, are easy ways to, to get kids engaged as well as save yourself a few bucks. And lastly, you coach Levi. Even though it's your first year, what are things that you've looked forward to purchasing and how have you budgeted? Um, so, again, coming from a small school, budget's pretty tight. Uh, the situation I walk to in Ellsbury, at least for baseball, is we're in the hole. So we have to make money before we can even buy anything. So that's been, some, been a real big challenge for us. Uh, but luckily, 
being the head softball coach, I, I try and pull money that I can use for both programs. So buying anything that I can use either way has been a big benefit and big shout out to Carrie and Mike, my AD and principal for letting me do that. So that's been really beneficial. And just like the other coaches said, you know, anything you can make to save yourself some money has been huge. We made, I've got some bat racks made. Uh, right now, my dad and I are designing something similar to, or popular, sorry, hitting, hitting tool that you see online. I'm not saying what, so I don't get sued, but uh, that's going along pretty well. And then again, making your own mounds, uh, anything that can really benefit you and help you. Uh, the strings that they were talking about, uh, we've got similar situation. We can't afford a hit tracks or wrap soda at the point. So we put up jump ropes uh, and strung them along our padding cages to get that ideal ball flight so kids can see what their see what their ball flight looks like and what's ideal. Um, so we've had some challenges, but nothing that's uh, gonna let us stop from being successful. All right. What do you guys do to emphasize the importance of academics to your students? You guys are high school coaches, so you really have to break down the student-athlete aspect because if kids aren't eligible due to grades, they can't play. So how do you really emphasize the importance of academics? And I'll ask this to you first, Coach Dowling. I mean, we spent a great deal of time prior to the season talking to the kids uh, about what that means. They make fun of me and, and they'll call me out every now and again. But in any time I am sending an email or whatever, I never use the term players. It's always student athletes. Uh, every now and again, I'll slip up and they'll call me out on it. But it, it works. They're, they're noticing that, that that language is being very intentionally chosen. As a spring sport, we fall in the middle of the second semester. And so we get, you know, I send out an email to the whole staff at the school with the rosters the night they're selected and basically say, uh, let me know the good, the bad, and the otherwise. Um, and they, now that I've been there long enough, they know they cannot hide in that building. That the teachers know who to come to, and if they're wearing that Highlander baseball hoodie, um, I will get involved very quickly if they are not meeting those expectations. And what about you, Coach Levi? As a first-year head coach, what have you done to really emphasize academics to the, the players? Uh, to go along with Coach said, you know, kids try and hide hide from you, but you find out really really quick which which teachers to go to, which ones want to come to you. With that being said, I check grades about every two weeks in season to make sure we're meeting meeting our courses. Uh, anytime a kid falls into a D range, they're expected to go to after school tutoring before they ever come to practice. Uh, they know that if they come to practice, they're going straight back to the school for tutoring, and they have an hour to do so until that grade gets caught up and I'll check day by day or week by week, however long it takes them. So if a kid has a D for four days, they're in tutoring after school for four days. That's just how it works. Uh, again, they're a student athlete, not just an athlete. They haven't earned that right yet. Uh, keeping after them, uh, rewards. Sometimes we get some rewards going out, just some random things to keep kids off their toes to make sure they're meeting expectations. They might get a free day off of conditioning or uh, might get some extra reps and a favorite drill that they like, something along those natures. But keeping after school has been a beneficial part. Uh, kids hate it. They don't like to be, or some don't like to be held to a certain standard. 
Um, but if you want to be successful and have a program that's uh, built on reputation and respect, especially within the school community, uh, you got to make sure that you portray that you are the teacher first and a coach second, because that's what we were hired to do. Lastly, how about you, Coach Grant? Uh, like I said, I'm a teacher as well, so you know I'm trying to keep up on all my kids' grades, not just the athletes. But I think the athletes have to be held to a higher standard too, just because you know they're out there promoting their sport, their sport, and their in themselves. So um, we do weekly grade checks, especially in season. Um, and if they do, if they haven't had fun game day, they just don't play because they, in my opinion, they need to be truly invested in doing the right thing in all aspects of their life. Um, if they have a D or an F on Friday, they have to come to what we call opportunity hour. It's basically study hall, but it just gives them an opportunity to work with me and other teachers or other students um, just to catch up on missing assignments or give them time to do homework and stuff like that. Um, I think that's important, but if we can give them that, that avenue to work on stuff outside of school time or practice time, then I think that helps too, and we can get a lot accomplished during that time. As high school head coaches, you guys are going to have to spend practices inside. High school practices start in March. It rains a bunch in March. It rains a bunch in April. Heck, I remember last year, my first year as a head coach, our first 12 practices, we were inside because it rained for 12 straight days to open up our season. And so you really got to become creative with how you practice plan being inside. You might have limited space. Who knows what might be in the gym that might trump you in needing the gym. Um, and so maybe you might find yourself stuck in the classroom for a little bit. Maybe you find yourself stuck in the hallway. Heck, last year we took ground balls in the uh, the sidewalk in front of the school just because it had an overhang, and we wanted to take live ground balls, and we weren't allowed to hit actual baseballs inside of our gym. So I'll ask this to you first, Coach Levi. What does an indoor practice look like for you? What have you done to be creative in having those indoor practices? Uh, first thing is I'm really lucky that our weight room, which is downstairs, has a cage built into it. So usually <clears throat> if we know we're going to have an inside practice, uh, we'll meet down there and we'll have a mental mental practice first. We'll discuss uh, strike zone, hitting concepts, um, tendencies that we need to look for in pitchers, things of that nature that we like to cover, uh, knowing our hot zones of our own self. We hand them a sheet and put what they think is their ideal hitting zones, uh, whether they like the ball up, down, inside, and out. So they start recognizing that. And we can see, as a pitcher is releasing a ball, identifying where that ball is going to go and if it's something we need to look for. You know, looking for your pitch to hit is huge, uh, and you got to be ready for it at all times. But to go back, we have our cage down in our weight room. Fortunately for us, next uh, next to our cage in the weight room, we also have a tunnel that's about 80 feet long. So I'm converting it right now to for our pitchers so we can get bullpens in downstairs. So we can pretty much keep – we have about 20 kids. We can usually rotate around, I don't know, 10 to 12 of them down there through some stage work in the cage. Uh, pitchers can throw bullpens. And then upstairs right above our weight room is our gym so we can get some fielding work in. Uh, we use Incredibles a lot. We have to use them in our in our big gym. We can't use real baseballs. Most of us know that pain, but we get a lot of work in there. And then use the lighting, utilizing our uh, track locally is right next right next to our weight room doors. 
so we can really rotate people through pretty well and then go out on the track. We can do a lot of outfield work, assuming that the infield for our track isn't too soupy and muddy. As long as it's firm, we have pretty good range. The soccer team is pretty good about letting us go out there and use it as long as they're not practicing on a certain end or using the entire field. <clears throat> so making those adjustments has been huge. Um, and it's something else we're looking into is luckily for me, we got a great athletics boosters program that is looking to put a, uh, like a ceiling net that can drop down in our, one of our gyms. So we have another cage to hit in besides the weight room cage. It's getting pretty old. It's kind of confined. So I'm looking forward to that. What about you coach Dowling? Uh, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head starting it off talking about being creative. Um, for us, it depends largely on the, the time of the year. Uh, today, it's 50 degrees out. We start in a week. Um, it might be 50. We might have a foot of snow on the ground. Um, so when we're indoors, you know, I kind of some basic principles I try to do is first to just make everything that possibly can be a competition into a competition. Um, you can take 10 million swings off a tee inside. Um, but if you take 10 where you're playing horse with your buddy and you, there's targets on the wall and you're trying to hit them and now you're developing some barrel control, um, I'll take those 10 over the, the 10 million mindless ones. Um, we're, I'm jealous of that setup with the cage right next to the weight room. Um, we do not have that. We have one cage and we have to wait until our basketball teams are done for the year to put it up. Um, so I'm always rooting for them until February and then I'm kind of rooting against them. Um, and so we have definitely used hallways, classrooms. Um, the rest, our JV team ends up in the wrestling room a lot, hitting and hitting tennis balls in there with, with no sneakers on. Um, I, I think that really you kind of look at what is your goal for that time of the year, and, and cool, you don't have a 90-foot diamond to do it on. Um, but if you still need to teach rundowns, then you got to figure out a way to do that indoors, which we've literally done in the hallway before. Um, and so that, I think that creativity piece is the key to, to simply kind of looking at it and saying, how can we best replicate what we would be doing outside in this indoor situation? And how about you, Coach Grant? Uh, it's kind of like what Coach Levi said, being at a smaller school, you know, you have to communicate with other coaches. Uh, we have two gyms that have cages to split between us and softball and track. So uh, it, it gets kind of hectic sometimes, but, uh, we do cook, we do classroom time too. I asked them like if they were the pitcher, how would you get yourself out? Just like Coach Levi said, talking about and knowing their hot and cold zones. For us, an indoor practice is very similar to an outdoor practice. How it starts, you know, go through a warm up, throwing program, individual defensive work, base running, hittings, and then we we traditionally end with some sort of competition. Uh, with individual defense, we usually go with different situations or stations, and they move through those. So. Like I said, with we have one cage, so normally if the infield's going through different stations, our outfield's hitting, and then after they go through that, we flip. And uh, we get our bullpens in during that time, too. Um, having a lot of two-way guys, sometimes with bullpens, we try to get them in in the mornings. Um, competitions that we do range from a wiffle ball game, knockout, three-on-three, -three, or home run derby. I don't think it necessarily has to be uh, baseball-specific just to keep them active and competing against each other. Um, my first year... We, since we had so many indoor practices in a row, we just we just had a competition day. It wasn't baseball related at all, and the losers had to had to eat baby food. Um, the guys always talk about it. 
And, you know, they're like, well, we were competing our butts off because we didn't want to be the ones to eat baby food. So just find fun ways that you can make it not get monotonous and uh, just have them compete. I like that stuff about baby food. That's good stuff, Coach Grant. All right, next question. How often do you guys work on base running? And is there anything in particular that you guys really focus on, whether it's getting the leadoffs, how you teach leadoffs, making sure we go first to third, getting good jumps, getting good reads on ball in the dirt, getting good secondary, whatever it is. Break it down for us and teach another coach that's listening to this something. And I'll ask this to you first, Coach Levi. Uh, assuming that we're outside, base running is a huge part of the game that needs to be done every day, in my opinion. Uh, all, all the great teams, at least at the high school level, win and lose based off base running. You know, you're going to assume that a kid can make a routine play. Some kids are going to get lucky at bat. They're going to hit some of the gaps. Uh, even if you got a stud on the mound, something's going to happen. So maximizing those 90 feet increments is huge. It's something we're going to go over every day. I did with my softball program. Baseball is going to be no different. Uh, taking taking care of all the little mistakes that a pitcher might make, you know, whether he's a one-looker or if he's got a set timing rhythm, uh, some things that we look for, as all of us probably do. But we like to go off of the chaos theory and that we're going to be super aggressive and take every base we can. Uh, we've all been in situations where we've got kids that hit some in the gap and they just absolutely fly out of the box and they start rounding second and they don't even hesitate going to third. I tell my, I tell my girls and my boys all the time, that we're looking for two every time we hit a ball. We're trying to get to second base every time. Uh, singles are great. I'm not knocking singles at all. We can always try and get our speed guys on and get them over to second base, but we're looking for that that double concept leading out of the box every single time. And for my faster guys, we're looking for triples. Anytime it's an offensive field gap or down line, we're thinking three immediately. We don't hesitate uh, unless they see me put the brakes on them. So being aggressive is one of the biggest things that I teach. Uh, making the defense play on their heels. We go over first and third offense all the time, uh, whether or not we run plays like uh, we got a play that we call potato uh, without giving out too much information to hurt myself in the emo conference. But uh, it's a backside steal with a suicide squeeze built into it, and it's really frustrating for a defense to understand and to defend. Um because we can do so many different things out of it. So looking up a, a first and third offensive theory is really, really big. It's something I highly suggest that you look into. But uh, being aggressive is the biggest, the biggest concept that I feel like some high school coaches and more don't really look into doing. It's something they really should think about doing more. Some, some people like to lay back and just take the base at a time and do the traditional steal, bunt them over, which is great for all situational stuff. But to put a team on their heels and to make them play your ball, you've got to go out and be the aggressor. You've got to be the first one to attack. And how about you, Coach Dowling? Uh, yeah, I'd agree with that. We, we try to do whatever we can to build in opportunities uh, whether it be during BP or, or kind of, you know, coach pitch or inner squad scrimmages um, for the base running side of things to, to give them opportunities to, to be aggressive and fail. Um, and it's always easier to rein them in than, than it is to, to get them to, to, you know, really 
increase that aggressiveness um, on the bases. And, and we've spent a lot of time trying to build those situations into practice and then really rewarding um, those that are are being aggressive, even even to the point of failure, because then they, they start to learn what their limits are. Um, on the base stealing side of things, um, we spend an inordinate amount of time uh, working on leads at first in particular. Um, every time we're hitting BP on the field, there's a pitcher on our mound with a screen in front of him to protect him. And then we have a, a big wall of screens we set up at first base and they're running live picks um, every single day we are hitting on the field. Um, and we, we have a tape measure that we take on the road with us so guys can see what their 9, 11, 13-foot leads look like. And, and I think getting them to really understand how comfortable they can be with what lead, depending on the guy's move and how quick he is, um, has built an enormous amount of confidence in our, in our guys to, to steal bags as well. And how about you, Coach Grant? We have exactly three weeks once practice starts until our first game. And, you know, weather dependent, we're, we could be inside all three weeks or we could be outside, which would be great. But with the Kansas weather, that doesn't always happen. So one of the first things we do is the first week we just teach fundamentals at every single base, um, getting the 12-foot lead, getting the 15-foot lead, um, how to properly dive back, you know, going first to third, and what situations you go first to third, little things like that. Um, we like to focus on the fundamentals and get really good at those before we progress into anything super crazy. Uh, one thing that we're going to do this year is we're going to time all of our guys steal times from 12 and 15 foot leads against our pitchers. Um, and then, and then I'll laminate it and my assistant coach and I will have those in our back pocket with our stopwatches and between innings, we'll time the pitcher and catcher duo and, you know, compare instead of just guessing. I, a lot of people probably do that, but it was something that we're going to do this year, and I think it'll help us a lot. Um, one base running drill that we really use a lot, whether we're inside or out, um, I took from the Mizzou coaching staff at a clinic last year. Um, they put a bun- they put a runner on each base, and then one guy in the left-handed batter's box and another in the right. So the right, the guy in the right-handed batter's box, uh, he has he has a sprint single like an infield single. The guy in the left-handed batter's box has a hustle double. The guy going at first is going first to third. No matter what, the guy at second is just is scoring on a base hit to the outfield. And then the guy at third is is tagging up. Um, we can do this really well. It gets a lot of guys reps. Uh, my assistant coach and I are at either first or third and talking to our guys just like a game. Um, so I think that's something that gets a lot of situations for us, but also gets some conditioning. Um, we don't have a lot of guys that go gap-to-gap power. So uh, one thing we're going to do this year is we're going to scrimmage either coach pitcher off the machine and every ball that gets hit to the outfield, we're going to try to take two. Um, we have some guys with speed, but not a lot of power. So if, you know, if we catch an outfielder going to a ground ball, going to his knee on a ground ball or lobbing the ball back into the cutoff or second base, we're going to try to go two. And I think that scrimmage will really help with that. So I'm excited um, to implement that into our program this year. One of the things that I did last year uh, at our school was that I would have two kids at first base and we would do this during the first round of BP. So BP, you kind of have your progressions, first round, second round, third round, when you do different situational stuff with the hitter. So our first round was the bunting uh, progression. And so I had two kids at first base, runner A and runner B. Runner A would uh, go from first to second on a, a sacrifice bunt by the batter. The next kid was, it was a bunt run. So he had to go from first to third. 
So now runner A is at first, runner uh, B is at third. The batter would bunt the runner from second to third. In the next pitch, the hitter had to hit a sack fly or a ground ball through the infield, whatever it is. Base runner B would have to see it through and score or tag up. And then the last progression, runner A would have to score from a, a squeeze from the batter. And that's how we would do it. We'd have two runners running at once, alternating each pitch for a different situation, and then they'd flip so they get every situation when they base run. That's just something that we did last year at Community R6. All right. As the high school guys in particular, is there anything you guys do to promote your program in the school and in the community? And I'll ask this to you first, Coach Dowling. I've been pretty active on Twitter for a long time, and, and I was talking to my athletic director, and he showed me how uh, <laughs> he had sent out a tweet, and it got like, I don't know, 200 views, and he sent out the same post on Instagram and got like 2,000 views. Um, so I broke down and got an Instagram, uh, and I feel like that's made like, obviously for, for kids that are using social media, um, having that public recognition is huge. Um, and I think that it, it's been an easy way for me to kind of highlight kids that are doing well and to highlight, um, you know, games and like we do a fall world series and I make a big deal out of the seniors draft the teams and announcing the teams and doing pregame interviews with the, with the seniors that are coaching those teams. And, um, it's, it's been a really easy way to kind of get the word out more, um, about some of the great things that, that our kids are doing. Um, and, and of course, I, I, I spend a lot of time conversing with staff at our school, and, then, and I make them very much aware of, as I noted earlier, about who's on the team and, and our kids, um, what's expected of them in class. And, and as a result of that, I think that the, the teachers really um, kind of get into it when they see their kids doing well. And, and I email them a couple times a year when we got a big game coming up or whatever. Um, I'm lucky to, to work in a, in a community that, that values baseball quite a bit. Um, we do a little league night. Um, we do a pediatric cancer uh, rate fundraiser game, um, and so things like that. All of a sudden, you know, a little here, a little there, and you get some you get some notoriety and some some butts at the seats for for the kids' games. And how about you, Coach Grant? Uh, one of the ways that we promote our program in the school is by having our, our kids before each home game select a teacher to throw out the first pitch. Um, I think that's cool. The kids look up to teachers, and, and they get a pick, so it's not me picking um, the teacher, but the kids selecting who they look up to or um, you know, who helps them when they're in times of need. Uh, one of the things we're going to do with that this year is have the teacher wear one of our away jerseys to school, and then when they do that first pitch, so just to recognize them. Um, with our community, we're going to have a community service day in the morning. Uh, one of the moms is helping me find community service activities for our kids to do. So we'll do that. Um, and then we're also going to do a Father's Day and a Mother's Day where um, it could be a positive real, um, male role model for Father's Day or it could be their dad, you know, it could be their uncle or brother, whoever. And they're going to come in and practice with them. Uh, just go through the drills with them, you know, hit a little bit, take some ground balls, fly balls, etc. Just to show, you know, how hard our guys work. And uh, we'll also do the same with Mother's Camp. So like I said, it can be a mom, a sister, aunt, whoever. Um, but I think that's just a good way to get everybody involved. And from the coaching aspect, it kind of gets parents um, looking at what you're doing and 
if you're doing things the right way, then it highlights that you're doing a good job. So I think that helps a little bit too. And how about you, Coach Levi? Uh, I just want to say that teacher throwing out the first pitch idea is great. I'm going to have to steal that. Um, as far as promoting our teams, uh, again, technology is a huge proponent of that. Like Coach was saying about Twitter and Instagram, uh, I use Twitter all the time, finding drills and everything like that. But kids these days are all about Snapchat and Instagram, and, and they're right. You know, you put something on Instagram, and it absolutely blows up immediately. It doesn't take long. So building that in as a promotion tool is huge uh, to get awareness. And uh, some things we do at the schools, I always send out an email to the teachers about our games, our game times. Um, our ED carry is really great about sending out a one minute, something we call one-minute drill about all the upcoming games and events we have going on that goes out to all the staff. Uh, and then putting it out in the community, you know, putting pictures out on Twitter, social media, letting people at the local gas station know, hey, you should come to the game. we got a game, you know, on Thursday. We'd love to see you there. You know, putting it on the kids to promote people. Kids love and eat up the ability to be able to see things that are good happening, and they want people to see those. And putting it on them to promote themselves and their school is huge. It helps build that sense of pride uh, within the community for the school. Um, getting their friends to come and be uh, bleacher creatures, as we call them, for their student section to make noise, you know, hype them up a little bit, give them some inspiration and some energy. Always great. Um, but of course, the biggest promoter of all is winning. You know, if you can win the games, you're going to do going to do a lot. You're going to be successful, and people are going to take notice. Uh, at the beginning of the year for our softball team, you know, besides the normal parents that come to watch your kids play and then I would say the normals, you know, outside of that, I don't know if we had a whole lot of outsiders coming to watch the games. Uh, by the time we hit districts in our sectional and quarterfinal games of our state tournament, we had people there I'd never seen, kids uh, in some of my PE and health classes that I would never think would come to a game we're showing up to this game supporting their team, team or not teammates but their fellow uh classmates so that was great to see so winning as hard as it is 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 a huge promoter it's the best promoter out of all all right and you're absolutely right coach levi there is nothing quite like winning that promotes your program i'm gonna ask as high school coaches you may have kids that come from all different areas kids that like myself, I sometimes I have kids that haven't played baseball in three years, but because they like me and they like my class, maybe they come out for baseball, and I only have 16 kids. I'm not really in a position to say no to anybody that wants to come out and play baseball. So what are ways that you guys develop hitters and pitchers in your program? And I'll ask this to you first, Coach Grant. I'd say one of the ways we develop hitters is just starting simple and then progressing through. Um, I listened to uh, a coach speak a couple weeks ago, and they're going to take out flips entirely and just do seated uh, overhand toss. And I think that's something that we're going to implement. So start with that, um, you know, and then build up the velocity, velocity a little bit with that. And then you can go to the BP style with the coach and then the machine. Um, 
I think that's the one of the best ways that we can do it because, like you said, we have guys that, you know, they only play during the spring or maybe it's their first time playing in a long time or first time ever. So that's kind of how we do that on the hitting side. Pitching side for us, um, I can't have any contact with them in Kansas until March 2nd. And like I said, we have three weeks of games. So one of the ways we try to develop pitchers is is focus on, on our throwing program and end every throwing session with a flat ground for everybody, regardless if they're a pitcher or not. Because everybody on the field, no matter what position they play, have, have to be accurate with their throws and have to have intent with their throws. So one of the ways we develop pitchers is just having everybody throw flat grounds. And if, you know, if we see a guy spot up, regardless of how hard he throws, and we're going to try to make him into a pitcher, even if they don't want to be. So I think that's just some of the ways that we develop our hitters and pitchers at Blue Stem. And how about you, Coach Levi? Uh, I'm going to have to ask you to skip over. And how about you, Coach Dowling? Uh, on the offensive side, um, we, we, we just try to make practice environment as game-like as possible. Um, the first round each kid gets of Coach Pitch BP of the entire season is the only round they will get the entire year that doesn't have at least one breaking ball mixed in. Um, I'm a former pitcher, so that makes it a little easy on me. And, and my other guys have learned to throw something that spins a little bit, but we exclusively, if a coach is throwing, it is exclusively mixed um, BP. Um, and then anytime we use the machine, we're, we're trying to overtrain velocity. Um, and so if the kid we're going to see is going to be, you know, 83, 86, then we want that thing pumping 88, 90. Um, again, we want to fail in practice baseball traditionally with 40, 40 BP, 40 miles an hour from 40 feet away, um, does not even a little bit replicate the game environment. And so, um, kind of taking a step back and, and trying to question, we we're moving to the same thing with the flips and how, um, an underhand flip is not a realistic ball flight. Um, the ball is coming up when in reality it's coming down. Uh, out of a pitcher's hand and so we want to match that angle flips is not allowing us to do that and so we've done the same thing moving to overhand flips um and and that's a perfect example of something that we've all probably looked at a million times but never took the, the time to think about well wait a minute does this replicate the game environment um and so that's kind of the driving focus uh on on the offensive side um and then for pitching i, I think that we too often put pitchers in situation where there's no skin in the game, especially in bullpen settings. Um, and so they're able to perform in a very, very low stress environment. Uh, and then the game comes and that is a very high stress environment. Um, so we've moved more and more to more of our bullpens being live ABs. Um, we actually went out and bought a new cage outside this year just for that purpose so that we can throw basically exclusively live AB bullpens. Um, and with that, we have a couple, you know, we have pitchers that can play horse effectively. They pick a pitch in a location. If they hit it, the other guy's got to hit it just like a horse in basketball. Um, we've got a scripted bullpen setting that, that is scored and tracked and, you know, the loser's got to pick up or whatever. Um, but I, I, I would say that on the pitching side, we don't force pitchers to compete in, on the mound often enough outside of the game setting. And so I think that's been a, a pretty big uh, boost for us. And what about you, Coach Levi? Um, as far as the hitting realm, you know, teaching kids how to be athletics is the most important part. Getting them into their, getting them into a solid base from which to launch out of, 
is really huge. Um, you know, mechanically speaking, I don't really try and teach too much on the mechanics side. I like to do more with the timing because that seems to be where most kids get their problems from. You know, not loading the backside at the proper time causes so many other problems. You know, if a kid loads late and doesn't get on the backside at the proper time, sometimes that call or brings in bad drag. Whereas if they hit off a tee, they may never have bad drag. So to build a kid fundamentally, mechanically, we'll do we'll do some tee work. But I've moved away from doing a whole lot of tee work and getting more into uh, the front toss to try and teach him the basic concept of timing. And when they start to get hang of it, then we go to a seated overhand toss and then we'll go to uh, straight up VP. And then we go straight to machine work. That's the idea. Um, because when you start putting time constraints on things, kids start breaking down. Um, so if we can slowly build them up and keep the same rhythm, same timing, and progress it upwards, they should keep that same relative timing throughout whether it's front toss or on a, off a machine, they understand when they need to load and how to get their body into a position. You know, once most kids get into front foot strike for a launch position, everything can kind of take care of itself. You have some people that like to chop down, you know, things like that, which are very minute problems in my opinion. Uh, but the biggest one is timing. Yeah, this is what the whole game is based upon, is trying to hit a moving ball to a moving location. Uh, and if you're not on time, you're never going to hit a ball. doesn't matter how great your swing looks. That's uh, my opinion. Uh, and as far as pitching goes, uh, I totally agree with Coach about not making pitchers compete. You know, I can remember in high school, my freshman and sophomore years, you were just told, told, hey, go throw a bullpen, 30 pitches, spot and spin it, you know. Um it wasn't until Coach Shree came my senior year until he started putting stress on us in a bullpen situation that helped us. And that same concept I'm taking with me, you know, asking them to compete, putting a pressure on the line uh, is huge because that's what they face in game. You know, practice is all about practicing a game situation. And if you're not putting that same emphasis in practice, then you're getting nothing out of it. You know, uh, having that focus and intent at practice to get better and to face pressure is going to make you better. Uh, I think too too many times we allow kids to be really successful at practice to make them feel good, but it's highly unrealistic or unreasonable to ask a kid to be really good at practice, and then when he gets into a game, he can't figure out why he can't hit a ball or throw a strike. You know, too much feel good. Uh, I think Kyle Body and out of drive line hit the nail on the head as far as. You know, you should never bat 800 or better or anything like that in a BP situation, whether it's a bullpen or or taking ABs. It's not a realistic approach to the game. You know, our best our best hitters in the game hit anywhere between three and 400, so they're highly unsuccessful for the most part of their careers. That's just the way our our game goes. But p teaching pitchers to be athletic again and competing is the biggest driving force. You know. Getting them to buy into that approach, uh, even when they want to take a day off, is the hardest part. With high schoolers, you know, they sit in a classroom for eight-plus hours a day. They take weightlifting. They come to a field, and they got to keep putting in work and keeping that attention and that drive to work hard. can't be taken off at practice, or we're going to lose games. Um, 
And to go along with pitching, uh, I think it needs to be said that you've got to take care of your pitchers more mentally and emotionally because of that stress factor. You know, everybody's watching them. They, they're the ones that can put the ball over the plate first to get to the game started. And if they can't do that, they're going to have a tough time being successful. And it's slowly going to leak into other parts of their uh, game, so to speak, because I'm sure most of our pitchers are probably our best athletes and probably hit number three or four or whatever in the lineup. So taking care of them mentally is a huge part of that as well. This is my last question. What is something a coach listening to this podcast, this particular episode, can take away from you, and what can they learn from you? And I'll ask this to you first, Coach Dowling. Uh, beg, borrow, and steal. <laughs> uh, I won't pretend to have invented anything that I've mentioned today. Um, and I think that, our, the, I mean, the best ideas we have are, I see somebody do something, and then I say, how can we use this in our situation with our players to benefit our team and our kids? Um, and, and I think, you know, the most dangerous answer to any question about why you're doing something is because that's the way we've always done it. And so taking that time, I'm as guilty of it as anybody. I mentioned it with the underhand flips earlier. And like, you know, we spent all this time measuring how, how high my release point is on the BP platform and does it replicate the game situation? And then the kids go take 50 hacks in the cage um, off of underhand short toss. Um, why? Because, I don't know, we did it because that's the way we've always done it. We did it because it's easy for kids to feed each other. Um, and so I think kind of questioning everything and, and taking that, that step back at times to evaluate like, why are we doing this? And if the answer is, I don't know, it's the way we always did it, it's probably probably something you need to reconsider. And what about you, Coach Levi? Uh, I have to agree with Coach Yally. Asking why is a huge, huge deal for, should be for all of us, uh, to see here and say that most of us came up with our own materials, completely false. Coaches are the best thieves in the world. Uh, like I said, I steal drills off of Twitter all the time. I'm always looking for something to help me out. And about 85 to 90% of the time, it's nothing I've created as far as a drill or a piece of paper, or whether I'm charting something or anything like that. We just collectively as a mind, as a baseball mind, have all given each other these free resources to share. And uh, again, going back to the question of why, you know, I agree with him that if that if we're doing it just because we used to do it, probably time to move on from it and find something to replace it with that's better. You know, that's that's what our game's about, trying to make ourselves better, the players better, our coaches, coaching staff, trying to progress. Um, if you're not willing to be open to change or progress, especially in the game of baseball now with all the numbers that are being shown with Blast and Rapsodo, you know, it's, it's, it's not an old game anymore. It's a new animal that's developing at a very rapid pace just to how it used to be played 10 years ago. Um, getting on board with that is going to help anybody. Um, and I'm hoping to learn a lot more than what I can give to anybody else. Like I said, this is my first year as a head coach. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to the future episodes of this podcast and learning as much as I possibly can to make our teams better. And lastly, you, Coach Grant, what is something a coach listening to this can learn from you? 
Well, I'd say uh, Teddy Roosevelt said it best. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I just try to implement that each and every day with our guys. Um, I'd say the most important thing that I tried to mention multiple times here today is to make an experience for our young men. Uh, we have a chance to teach them the game of baseball, but also how to be good young men and also provide them with an experience that if we do it right, they'll never forget. So one of the things that I try to focus on is never forget that no matter how grown up our young men try to try to act, they're still kids and some of them need a positive role model in, in their lives. And we can be that person each and every day. And that's that's what I try to live by as a teacher and as a coach. That wraps it up for the Coaches Roundtable podcast. Thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. If you would be interested in being part of an episode yourself, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at Coach Crato, K-R-A-T-O. Thank you.